morning, church. Good to see all of you. Uh, missed you last week, and big thanks to um, Pastor James for filling in. Uh, bring you greetings from our brothers and sisters at the Dewey Church of God. They all say hey, <laughs> and uh, glad that we could um, have a chance to go up there and, and chat with them. Um, <clears throat> I'm finishing up this series called Reveal uh, today. We're going to start a new series next week. Uh, so in our small groups, we're going to be reading a book. Um, it's called Long Story Short, and it's really about the, the overall story of the Bible from beginning to end. And so we're going to actually do a four-part series on that uh, starting next week. And uh, so you're going to get a little bit here, you're going to get a little bit from that book in your small groups, and we're kind of excited about it because we think that God is authored, has authored um, a story that he continues to author in, in our lives too. And so I'm looking forward to starting that one. But the business at hand is to finish up this idea called Reveal. And what we're looking at is how God reveals himself to us. Now, of course, we believe that the primary way that God speaks to us today is through his word. But let's be honest some of us need a little help, right? I mean, I know I do sometimes. You know, I can read it, but I don't really fully understand it because, well, I'm not making those decisions until I actually have to make the decisions and, and deal with real life. And am I just preaching to myself here? Yeah, I think everybody feels that way to a certain degree. Yet sometimes we need a little help. And there's some, there's some places within the scripture where we see God actually move in certain ways and reveals himself to us. And it's usually through Jesus. I'm just going to be honest about that one. And we're trying to take a look at some of those events. Now, we started this thing way back uh, a few weeks ago when it was um, this thing called Epiphany. And Epiphany uh, is, in the Western Church, is when Jesus revealed himself to the wise men in the Eastern Orthodox Church. It's in his baptism. And so the thing that we kind of looked at in those early, um, early stages of, of the series was that God re will reveal himself through natural phenomenon. Like, like a star in the sky, like what the wise men followed. He will reveal himself that way. He will also reveal himself in very dramatic, term, um, uh, dramatic uh, kinds of events. So he goes and he's baptized and he comes up out of the water, the heavens part, the dove comes down, cue the angelic music and the voice from heaven and, you know, Steven Spielberg shot at that point. And um, so he, he does. He, he gives us those dramatic things occasionally. Sometimes he reveals himself... Um, directly. And he's, at the, he's with a woman at the well, and I'll never forget this, and, and they have this kind of theological discussion at the end. This woman, this Samaritan woman says, I know that when the Messiah shows up, he's going to explain it all to us. And Jesus basically says, yeah, I just did, right? And kind of walks away from there. And then last week we learned that, that Jesus sometimes reveals himself through miracles. And today, I want to I offer another place that God will reveal himself to us, usually through Jesus. And we're going to be in Mark chapter 6. You can see it on the screen right there. So if you have your Bible, you might want to turn there. If you have a Bible app, you might want to punch it in. So turn your Bible on, I guess. And we'll be in Mark chapter 6. Um, and just while you're kind of trying to find that, I want to remind you that Mark is, is one of the four um, biographies of Jesus. And it's usually considered Peter's. Um, biography of Jesus. It's his account of, of that because Mark, the author, was a close associate of Peter and there are certain details that we find in the text that you don't find in any of the other places largely because there was an eyewitness, probably Peter, and I'm going to point one of those out to you today. 
It's, it's an interesting kind of thing. And, and the other thing that I like about, um, about Mark is that it's very action-oriented. Jesus is constantly on the move. He's on a mission, and, and he kind of is, is, is inviting all of us along in that. So Mark chapter 6. And this is a really familiar story. This is one of those that if you grew up in the church, you probably heard in Sunday school. And we're going to talk a little bit about this. Because um, I'm hoping that the comments I make might help you see this in slightly different light. So if you remember, in Mark chapter 3, Jesus calls a group of, of people to, to, to hang out with him so that he could eventually send them out to preach. That's Mark chapter 3. In Mark chapter 6, he actually does that. He sends these disciples out to preach. Now, keep in mind that the disciples, the youngest was probably about 13, and the oldest was maybe 21, 22. Okay, so we're talking about young men who are going out to do this kind of preaching. And so they come back, and, and Jesus hears the report, and he says, let's go off to rest. And then the story picks up, and you need to see this. So they, meaning the disciples and Jesus, went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place, but many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. So here they are trying to get a break. And everybody recognized him because at this point, he's kind of like a Jewish rock star, right? People are following him all over the place. They're, they're showing up in droves wherever he's going to be. And keep in mind, too, that his disciples had just gotten back from a major um, uh, series of events where they, too, were doing preaching, so they were getting a certain amount of reputation, too. Does this beginning to make sense? There's all kinds of folks that are trying to show up to see them. And notice that he says this. He had compassion on them. In church, one of the things I want to do, I want to echo some, something that Kay just said, is Jesus feels that way about you, too. He has compassion on you, <clears throat> whatever your circumstances are, whatever is going on. And the fact that he had compassion on them means that he has compassion on you. And I just want to remind you of that because I think that's good news. And I don't want you to walk out of here without good news. <laughs> and hopefully there will be a little bit more where that came from. But keep that in mind, that he feels the same way about you. Um, by this time, it was late in the day, so his disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said, and it's already very late. Send the people away so that they can go uh, to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. Now, isn't this just like the church? We're very concerned about where the food's coming from, right? <laughs> Apparently, they didn't have carrion dinners or potlucks back then. I don't know. But the disciples are very pragmatic when it comes to this. They said, hey, it's getting late. The people are getting hungry. Uh, can we, can we you know, send them home so that they can go and, and, and find some food? And I want you to, to notice something. I like the pragmatics of this because I think this is important. We, we, we get wrapped up in, in these, and sometimes Jesus points us in a different direction. Here's what he says. But he answered them, you give them something to eat. Yeah, Jesus, you know, everyone's getting hungry, and the kids are going to get whiny, and Jesus says, mm, you, you give them something to eat. You do it. They said to him, that would take more than half a year's wages. Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? So the protests start. 
The pragmatics have taken over. Now, I, I want you to think about something. Didn't the disciples just get back from healing the sick, casting out demons, and preaching the good news? Oh, how quickly we forget sometimes. So they just come back. They're on this kind of spiritual high. They go to arrest. Jesus starts ministering. They get into the nitty-gritty of the pragmatics, and they say, very frankly, can't we get them something to eat? And Jesus says, no, you do it. And then they begin to protest. Whoa, wait a second. Where that, where's that money going to come from? And Jesus is very clear. You give them something to eat. It's kind of funny, actually. You're just like, until you realize that, well, you and I probably do the same thing if we're honest. So, um, he asks, how many loaves do you have? He asked. Go and see. Uh, when they found out, they said five and two fish. Now, you've heard this story before, right? This is not new to you. You've, you've heard this one, right? Five loaves, two fishes. I, li I like this because they do the protest, and the first thing he says was, before you protest, figure out what you have. Go do some inventory first. Go, go, go and see. Now, there's no chastisement here. He's not like, would you guys just go look? I mean, it's not like that at all. The tone is just very matter-of-fact. Well, you know, how many loaves do you have? And the answer is, well, we don't know. Okay, go and see. Go find out. And the thing of it is, it kind of reminds me, I would be chastising at this point. And if you have kids, you know what this is like. When you send your kids to go, Mom, I can't find whatever it is. And the first question is, did you look? And then when you go, for whatever reason, apparently you have magic sight because it's right there. Or whatever the item was that you sent them to go find is scared of you and automatically magically appeared, right? But it's not really like that. Jesus is very simply saying this idea of, you know, go see what you have. And, and by the way, this is another really good piece of advice. Before you start on something, especially if it's God-directed, you might want to take some inventory to figure out where you're at. I mean, I think it's just wisdom. Start where you are, use what you have, do what you can. And let God do the rest. I keep thinking about this is that, you know, let's say there's a weight and it's like, you know, 3,000 pounds. I'm probably good for about 100 of that. I know Lee Nightingale can probably do about 250. <laughs> yeah, no, you don't weigh that much. You can lift that much, though, right? We can get everybody right. Okay, here's the deal. There's 5,000 pounds. We still have to do our part, and God's got to pick up the rest. Does this make sense? But you have to figure out what it is um, that you're, you're doing, what God is directing you to do, and then ultimately you have to figure out where you are and what you have to begin with. I think that's just wise advice. And so there's no chastisement here. He says, go and find it. And, and they said, okay, five, five loaves of bread and two fish. Great. Then Jesus directed them to have all of the people sit down in groups on the, what's the word? Green grass. How do they know it was green? Probably a detail that Peter remembered. Does that make sense? Little details like this you find all over the book of Mark because an eyewitness is relaying this. And you can kind of imagine this. He's telling Mark about the story. He goes, yeah, I remember the grass is really green that day, so Mark included it, right? Kind of an idea here. You don't find this in any of the other, other passages. 
uh, to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties, taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. Now, it would be really easy to try to reduce this thing down to a formula. Okay, whatever I got, I'm going to you know, ask God for some help, and then we're just going to... I'm not sure that's what's happening here. I think the point is, is that, that Jesus asked them to go figure out what it was that they had to start with, and they just worked from there, which I think is just simply good advice. Always start with what you've got. Now, look what happens. They all ate and were satisfied. They all ate and were satisfied, every one of them. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. How many disciples were there? There was enough left over for them. If you are doing some ministry and it's Jesus-directed, then there's a good chance that he's going to take care of you too. This is an illustration of that. So they ate, they were satisfied, they had extra. The number of men who had eaten was 5,000 because back in that day, ladies, I'm sorry, they only counted men. So we know that there were more because there were also women and children most likely present. So we know at least 5,000, probably more than that, actually ate from how many? Five loaves, two fishes. And it's a miracle. By the way, there were some estimates um, done uh, by a certain scholar. He looked at the towns and villages that were most likely in the area where Jesus did this, and their total population was probably between two and 3,000 altogether. You got a whole lot of folks who are coming in for this event. So when I say rock star, I really mean it. I mean, people were looking for this. They all came to try to, try to get a few moments just listening to Jesus. It's a lot of people. And it's a great story, isn't it? For those of you who remember, this is flannel graph worthy. Remember the little flannel graph thing of the loaves and two fish? Yeah. Yeah. There's some younger folks here who are going, I don't know what you're talking about. <sighs> I feel bad they miss flannel graph. So here, here's the big idea. This is the thing I want you to remember when you walk out of here. This is the idea of Revelation. And it's simply this. God reveals himself in ministry. When we're doing ministry, that's when God will show up and reveal himself to us. And you can also say God reveals himself in risk. When you take a risk. Okay, five loaves, two fishes, 5,000 people minimum. That's risky. Because if somebody walks away hungry, everybody going to hear about it. Let's be honest about that. Crowds are fickle. And yet, they all ate, and they were all what? Satisfied. Right? God shows up in ministry when we take a risk. I am not saying it's comfortable. I am not saying it's fun. I am not saying that it's, you know, full of joy. But that's when God shows up. In those moments of risk, and in those moments of ministry. And, and I, you know, I, I've talked to pastors all the time, and, and we've seen it. 
you probably have too, where something happens where you're just kind of scratching your head going, I don't know what's going to happen here, and yet God shows up in a big sort of way. Now, don't get me wrong, I think God is present all the time, but I think sometimes he pokes his head in a little bit further than others, and things happen, and we go, wow, isn't that amazing? Yes, it is. But that's when God reveals himself very often in ministry, when we choose to take that risk. Now, here's the thing, though, and this is, I think this is important. Because I don't think we're reckless. I don't think we just make the risk. Um, we don't make the risk just for the, for the sake of making the risk. I think it has to be God-directed. Remember, Jesus said, you give them something to eat. They were being pragmatic, and, and rightly so. If you've got those kinds of logistics, and you don't have a logistics person, and you don't have a party planner who's going to help you bring... See, this is why I don't plan parties. And if you talk to anybody on my staff, they will tell you this. I guarantee you at my parties, we will have chips, because I like chips. We won't have anything to eat them off of, and we won't have anything to wash them down with, but at least we will have chips, okay? So here's the thing. This idea that you've got 5,000 people, this is a big deal. We're talking about, you know, somebody had some plans. They brought five loaves and, and fish. Of course, they didn't bring any chips, so that's too bad. But the point is... That here we have this little bit, and that's when Jesus says, you give them something to eat. So the ministry, the risk that they were taking was God-directed. Are you following me? Yeah. It's God-directed. Jesus said that. But it's also kingdom-oriented. These people were listening to the compassion and teaching that Jesus had for them. So he's trying, to, he, he's trying to move them in a direction. He's trying to help them understand the kingdom of God. And he begins to teach them. And so it's Jesus-directed. It is kingdom-oriented. And frankly, those are impossible circumstances. If God doesn't show up, this ain't happening. Right? And so when we talk about risk, it's not recklessness. It's not just doing it for the sake of doing it, but it's really understanding that there's a kingdom orientation. It is Jesus-directed. In the impossible circumstances, he's just setting you up for something that he's going to do. And so the question that I keep coming back to is, how do I know when to take the risk? Because I see opportunity for it all over the place. And some of you do as well. So how do I know personally when to take the ministry risk? When is it going to be that Jesus is going to show up in, in ways? And I love mitigating risk. I will stack the deck. I will cheat the system if I have to in order, especially if it's kingdom-oriented work. I'll do that. And a lot of other people will do the same thing. But what I'm trying to get at, what I'm trying to, to drive at here is there's a question. How do I know when to take that risk? Because I don't want to look foolish. Nobody does. And I think it comes down to this. And I, this may be a broken record, but I think it's so important. And I think we need to hear this. It's when we chase after the presence of God and we're in his presence, and we're spending some kind of time with him deliberately that we begin to know these things. I wish there was another way. Because when I wake up in the morning, I got an agenda. I got things I want to do. I got people I want to see. I got things I got. But what I've learned is, is that if I really want to see God show up in these sorts of ways, I need to make sure that I spend some time in his presence, and I need to chase after that. Does that make sense? Chasing after the presence of God. We 
kind of set that as our theme for Thrive Church this year. And it keeps coming up over and over again of how important it is to be in his presence, to chase after it, to spend that time with him so that we get this sense that we're supposed to take the risk. Look, if you want to see God-sized things happen in your life and in the lives around you, then you've got to chase after his presence and you have to be willing to take a risk. I don't, I don't know how else to do it. And I think this just illustrates all of that. And I want to leave you with one last thought when it comes to God-sized events. And I've actually talked about this before, and it just keeps coming up. And I, I suspect the reason why it's coming up for, for me is because there's something I need to learn. Have you ever noticed that? Uh, you get the same repeated pattern over and over again, and you think, I swear, I've learned this already. And God's like, <laughs> nope, you got more to go. That's what it sounds like in my voice. I don't know what it is. And I, get, I, I call it the holy chuckle. <laughs> God giggling at me half the time. But there's a statement that Jesus makes in another biography, in the biography of John. And I absolutely love this because I think um, it's one of those places just in my own heart that I've, I've, I've got to come to grips with over and over again. Here it is so that you can see it. <clears throat> my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friend. You've seen this before, right? This is not a new verse, right? To lay down one's life. And, and I think that the command here is to love. And he describes what great love is. It's when we lay down our life. And I want to say to you, that kind of love takes a tremendous amount of strength. I think sometimes we get into trouble in the American churches because we have a very limited understanding of love. We have one word for it. But the kind of love that he's talking about, to lay down one's life for one's friends, that's a bigger, deeper kind of love. And it's a strong love. Please don't ever confuse kindness with weakness. Sometimes the hardest thing to do is to love. And we talk about this idea of laying down our lives, and we see this in dramatic ways throughout this country every single day. There are men and women, not just in this country, but all over this world, who put on uniforms. And they do amazing things because they're choosing to lay down their lives for the people around them. Now, that doesn't mean they're all good and it doesn't mean that, that there aren't problems and there are things that we, don't, we can't solve. And I, I understand all of that. I understand that. But the fact of the matter is you have a group of people who do this day in and day out. And we understand that. And we go, yes, thank you. And we appreciate them and we applaud them. And we should. We should do all of those things. But what Jesus is talking about here, I think, is that plus something. When we say lay down our lives, we think about death. And hey, that makes sense because that's what Jesus did, right? He went to a cross for us. He died. Yes, he laid down his life, and we all understand that. But I really think that for all of us, if we, if we, if we dig a little bit deeper and we begin to understand what Jesus is talking about here, I think this is less about heartbeats and breathing and more about checkbooks and calendars. And I've said this before, and I think it bears worth repeating, because when we lay down our life, sometimes it's not choosing to give up my life to, 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 
to sacrifice my heartbeat for someone else. This reminds me of a story I've heard, you've probably heard me say this before, but there used to be this television show called Night Court. Do you remember Night Court? And it was Harry Anderson, and Harry Anderson was the, was the judge, and he had a bailiff named Bull. Do you remember Bull? Bull was this really tall, bald guy, very handsome man, by the way. And he was uh, in the show, he was in an interview, and the reporter asked him about Harry Anderson. Oh, yes, I, I, love, I love the judge. In fact, I would drink hot lava for that man. Of course, he's never asked me to do that, and I'm very thankful. <laughs> it's kind of, kind of a thing. But he was willing to lay down his life, and we all understand that we get that. But here's the thing, here's the thing. Sometimes laying down our life means laying aside our agendas. Sometimes it's about laying aside our time for someone else. Sometimes laying down our lives means setting down our rights for the sake of someone else. To not demand those things. Sometimes it's laying aside our perspective to see things from another person's point of view. That's laying down your life too. And it goes both ways. In church, can I say this? That is risky. That's incredibly risky to do, to be willing to say, you know what? I'm going to give this up. For right now, and I'm not saying do this in an unhealthy way where you give up you know, your, your total self. That's not what I'm suggesting here. But there are moments when we have to give up those things for the benefit of the others. Um, those of you who have kids, you, you understand this. You've got to set aside some of your personal things because you have children. They, they demand that, and they should. It is your responsibility for them. I'm going to give you an example of this just, just yesterday. Um, I was going to take a nap. <clears throat> I like taking naps. And then my eight-year-old came in. And she wanted some dad, dad attention. So I had a choice in that moment. Did I demand my right to a nap? Or did I lay it aside and spend some time with my eight-year-old? See how this works out? Here's the cool thing about that. When I laid aside that, those few moments, I ended up having a conversation with her about her life and about what she thought. And yeah, it probably included a little bit of Jesus talk. And we talked about church. We talked about mommy. We talked about E, that's her older sister. And we talked about the kittens that we foster in our house because they're everywhere. <laughs> but the point is, is through all of that, that relationship strengthens, and I think that honors Jesus. And sometimes it's the hardest thing to do, especially when I'm so tired and I just want to take a nap. And I say, you know what, I'm going to lay down my life for the sake of another. Now, this is a simple example. And some of you have had more experience with those kinds of things and more dramatic experience, but the point is, is that we've, we're, we're so willing to talk about about taking a bullet for someone else, but the, the reality is, is that usually Jesus doesn't ask us to do that. Usually just Jesus asks us to give up your nap time for the sake of your kids. And it's risky to do that 
because then you're going to get grumpy, right? <laughs> no, but you understand. You understand how this goes. And I really think that, that the, the whole point to this is that when you're, especially when you're dealing with your family, this is an easy one, you're dealing with your family, that is God-directed, that is kingdom-oriented, right? We can see that. But what about a coworker who might need just an extra few minutes? What about somebody here at church who is obviously feeling something and, and you need to go up and say, hey, how you doing? I don't know. I don't know what it is for you. I am trusting that the Spirit is going to talk to you in those particular moments and, and help you understand all of those things. But the bottom line is, are you in the presence of God? Are you chasing after that? And at the same time, are you willing to take the risk? Understanding that risk is laying down your life for the sake of someone else.